runs down the timber of a rocky tree, pours out like a river on you and me. Till every sin is washed away in the We all go through trials in our lives. Uh, Brother Keith shared with you last night about John Parker. That's unexpected in their lives. Uh, Sister Marie back there, she went to check on. She thought she had kidney stones, wound up with kidney cancer. And praise the Lord, he <laughs> took care of her and all right. So each one of us go through problems every day. We need to hold our pastors up because they go through life just like we do. But yet they're there to hear us hear our problems, and help us however and whenever they can. So there's three words in this song that you go through life and it gets real tough for you if you can remember these songs or these three words. Only one whose heart is dirty. 
Thank you, Brother Bill. I appreciate Bill so much. He's not just a good singer, but he's a dear friend of mine, a dear brother in Christ. I love him so much. Thank you, brother, for singing tonight. I appreciate it so much. We're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tonight, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tonight, and the topic tonight is the coming rise of the Antichrist, the coming rise of the Antichrist. I'll look at four things tonight, four signs, I believe, that show us that we're approaching the day, the time of the Antichrist, and and kind of look at uh, the Bible and then look at current events as well and kind of see how they match up here. And I pray it will be helpful to you tonight. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, the coming rise of Antichrist. Brother Steve, thank you so much for the invitation to be with you all tonight, last night, tonight. What a wonderful church fellowship you have here at Liberty Baptist Church. So many wonderful people. Some of you all have known for the year through Mel Baptist Association events. Just times being together, and it's a joy to be with y'all tonight and a fellowship with you. Thank you for coming to share in the Word of God tonight. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll pick it up in verse 1 and read down through verse 4. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Bible says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or letter, as it was from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The coming man of sin, or the son of perdition, as he's described here, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 
1 John chapter 2, the Antichrist. Daniel chapter 7, the little horn. Daniel chapter 9, the prince that shall come. And probably the most famously in Revelation chapter 11, the beast. Now, when he appears, he won't be known as a beast. He won't have on a name tag that says, hello, my name is the beast. Uh, he's not going to be known as that. That's his inner character, who he really is spiritually. Uh, talk about the nature. He has a satanic, demonic nature. Uh, but he'll be a kind of guy you'd want to vote for. He'll be the kind of guy that can bring solutions, bring people to the table, get problems solved. He'll rally people around the big issues of the day. Uh, he's a guy that seems to be a, bring a, a peacemaker and solve problems that the world has. And so he's the kind of guy that will be charming, alluring. Uh, he'll be deceiving, though, in his nature. And he is the beast, the Antichrist. You know, we see the world is the world is right for this today, I believe, as we'll see tonight as it unfolds. I believe the stage is even being set right now and has been being set for some time now. You know, in Paul's day, there was the imperial cult, the worship of Caesar, the idea that man would be God, that Caesar was divinity, that Caesar was divine. It goes back to the original lie that Satan told in Genesis chapter 3 that we can be as gods ourselves. You know, God, you have to do what God tells you to do. God's just trying to hold out on you. God doesn't want you to have what he has, to know what he knows. And so you can be his gods. And that is the original lie that Satan told there in Genesis 3. And so we see the rise of the advent of Antichrist here. Paul describes it here, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I look back at the words of Jesus, what he said in originally in Matthew 24, and I'm going to refer back to Luke 17, at what Jesus said in the gospel, Luke chapter 17. He said this about these days, these last days. He said in verse 26, he said, As it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the days of the Son of Man. The days of Noah, what happened to Noah's day? What's he famous for? Well, the flood. Some of you have been to Kentucky and seen the ark there, the recreation, and uh, the flood of Noah's day. It was a terrible event, a cataclysm that destroyed this earth. It was a worldwide event. And it happened not just the rain that came down, but great subterranean chambers of water burst forth, and the world was covered with water. And only those who were in the ark were saved during that terrible catastrophe and event. That event shaped our world even today, hasn't it? We see it in the fossil record. Uh, we see it today in the, uh, the geology. The topography of the world has been shaped by that event of Noah's day. But the reality was, what, what were people doing in that day? As they were, Noah was preparing the ark. He was getting the ark ready, and he was making sure it was waterproof and sealed tight and bringing in supplies and foodstuffs. And, and then the animals were gathered to him and brought to him and it says, in those days, verse 27, what were they doing? They were eating, drinking, marrying wives, and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. They're living life like it goes on forever. Like there's no impending judgment. There's no catastrophe about to occur. It's like life would be every day, just life, ordinary life, routine life every day, eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, just the routine of life as if it goes on forever, but yet catastrophe came, an entire worldwide civilization was wiped out. Only those were saved that were in the ark there that God had rescued in that time. Then it goes on to say in verse 28, the days of Noah shall be in the days of the Son of Man. Then he references in verse 28, the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. These are the things you do as if life's going to go on forever. You don't do these things if you think the world's going to end tomorrow. Uh, you don't buy and sell and plant crops, all like that, if you think the world's going to end tomorrow. But yet, in here, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities of the plain, the days of Lot, they were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, they built. And on that day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. 
Both these stories of Noah and the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah with Lot both remind us of the sudden catastrophe that happened, that there were many that were unprepared. And we see that God removed Noah and his family. They were safe in the ark. They were rescued during that terrible time of, uh, of tumult. And so it was with Lot. Even the judgment could not fall until Lot's family was removed from uh, that city to a safe place. Even though Lot was a picture of what we call a backslidden believer, God still brought him out of that city. Throughout it was, these are two terrible catastrophes that happened, and people had no idea. People didn't have a clue. They didn't realize the impending judgment, what was about to befall them, uh, entire civilization to be wiped out. In Noah's case, a worldwide catastrophe and how they were unprepared for these type of things. Matter of fact, the Bible even says, Jesus says in Luke 17, 32, remember Lot's wife. Remember her affections, her cravings were back in Sodom and Gomorrah. She was leaving the city. Uh, they had to pr pretty much drag her out, grab her by the arm and pull her out of the city. But her affection was back there. You know, Tony Bennett used to say my, used to sing the song, my heart, I left my heart in San Francisco. Lot's wife would sing, I left my heart in Sodom and Gomorrah. It was there. She yearned for that. She longed for that. She hated to let go of that, hated to leave those cities, what represented there, the commerce, the trade, the wealth, the possessions, all like that that she had in Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus reminds us to remember Lot's wife that she forfeited her life. She forfeited eternity for that that was temporary for the here and now of material things. And so we get the warning here, we're to be ready, we're to be on guard. The Bible tells us in a number of places we'll see the last days will be characterized by an age of deception is a key word, satanic, demonic deception in mass on a wide scale that we'll see. And so I want to look tonight at just some things I've come across that uh, I found interesting that I wanted to share with you tonight. Four signs I believe the approach of the Antichrist is, is imminent, it is uh, perhaps even with our generation, we can't say that for sure, but it certainly seems like the stage is being set for this and the world is right for the rise of Antichrist. I want to share with you tonight four reasons I believe that the rise of Antichrist is approaching. Here's number one. It is the technology is now available in a way to make this th these things occur that was not available until just recently. Even 20, 30, 40 years ago, just recently in our generation, our lifetime, uh, these things were not set as they are now to make uh, these things possible. Let me just get you to turn to Revelation chapter 11. If you will. Let me just show you a couple of two or three tonight technological advances I believe that have happened in our lifetime, in our generation, that make the rise of Antichrist possible in our time. Now, we're not setting dates tonight. The Bible does give us a good roadmap for the future. It gives us a general direction. It doesn't tell us exact chronology and exact times of these things. It doesn't tell us the names of personalities, but it does give us a general roadmap to the future that we can look at and get an idea, not just in Revelation, but in Daniel and Ezekiel, the Old Testament, the words of Jesus and all of it, discourse, other places as well, we get kind of a roadmap for the future. Revelation chapter 11, we see here there are two witnesses that appear at this time, two witnesses of God that are sent down from God to earth. We call them mega witnesses. We read about them in Revelation chapter 11, up in verse 6. It gives kind of a description of some things they do. It says, these have the power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy and power over the waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. They have supernatural ability, these signs and wonders that are given to them as credentials of God. Now, we're not sure who these two are. They're not named here. They do things that like maybe Moses, Moses and Elijah would have done, but we're not really sure who they are. But the Bible says that the beast or the Antichrist, this one who is this world leader, the end times, 
that he has them assassinated. They're put to, uh, they're put to death here. It says in Revelation chapter 11, we look down uh, in verse 7, he, the beast makes war with them, overcomes them, and kills them. Then notice what happens to their bodies after they are killed. Last night we talked about the bones of Joseph. Well, look at the bodies of these two witnesses here. What happens to them in Revelation 11 verse 8? It says their bodies will lie in the street of the great city. We understand this is Jerusalem references here where our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and will not allow their dead bodies to be put in the graves. And all the people of earth will rejoice that they're dead. They'll be glad they're dead. But then we see they're resurrected here. In these letter verses, uh, God sends a resurrection of them. They're raised up once again here. And what a miracle that is. But we see the thing that it says here about it is a beast has them assassinated, has them killed. And in verses 8 and 9, their dead bodies just lay there on the street. Now, we understand in Jewish life, you're to get a quick burial, a very rapid burial. But they lay there three and a half days. It's a desecration. It's an insult to them. It's a slur to them. They lay there for three and a half days. And there's a worldwide viewing audience. It says here there are those from many different nationalities, many different ethnic groups, many different nations that see them. And you might think, first of all, that there are people, a large group of people that are there present in the city at that time from these nations. But it almost gives you an idea as you do a deeper dive into this and look at it that all the world sees these three witnesses there. Just imagine a preacher preaching this passage, Brother Steve, 100 years ago. How will all the world be able to see these three witnesses in the space of three and a half days? I mean, you can't even, couldn't even travel very fast then. You had to go steamship across the ocean and take days or weeks to get from one continent to another like that. I remember years ago, uh, the late 1800s, Jules Verne's novel, Around the World in how many days was it? 80 days, wasn't it? It took 80 days to get around the world. Now, with our technology, you can get around the world in a day or two with the the jets we have now to do that, the rapid tra travel. But all the world will see within three and a half days. How could that happen? Could they travel there? No, they couldn't travel there. You couldn't get that many people there, there present to even file by one by one. It'd take, it'd take years to go by all the world to see them. But now through satellite technology, we can see things around the world in real time, can't we? I remember when I was a kid growing up, you'd watch Walter Cronkite on the news at 630 and then if you miss that, you'd maybe read the paper the next day and get the news, and it was already kind of stale and old and, you know, a day old by the time you read it like that. It's hard to know things until after it already happened. But now with satellite, satellite technology, the Internet, cell phones, all that we have, now we can see things in real time as they happen. We can watch wars and battles and political events in real time as they happen. That's what we see here, a worldwide viewing audience. This has only been possible recently in our lifetime. This couldn't have happened 100 years ago or 200 years ago to have a worldwide viewing audience in the space of three and a half days. But that's what happens here through the miracle of satellite technology. Here's another one. Turn over a page or two to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. And here we see the beast emerge from the sea, the sea of humanity. This is the Antichrist. He's a beast. The Bible describes him as a beast here, but really he'll be charming. He'll be alluring. He'll be deceptive. He'll be the kind of guy that people want to vote for. He'll be able to solve problems that other people could not solve, bring nations together, bring, bring people to the table together who had not been together uh, for peace treaties. And the Bible talks here about the rise of Antichrist in verse, or Revelation chapter 13. And it says this down in verses 14 and 15. There's, there's a, one that rises with him called the false prophet. He's kind of like the PR man for the Antichrist, the guy that promotes him and shines a spotlight on the Antichrist. 
Just like there's a godly trinity of the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, so there's a satanic trinity of Satan who's always wanted to be like God, the Antichrist, the false Messiah, and then the false prophet who acts as his Holy Spirit uh, does to point the light on Jesus, he will shine the light on the Antichrist. And so we see this unholy trinity revealed here, Revelation 13, and we see this down in verses 14 and 15. Uh, actually, verse 13, it says that this, this false prophet performs great signs, even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth on the side of men. And he deceives, the, word, the key word here is deceive. There is great massive deception here. He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast which was wounded by the sword and lived. Now here we see uh, granted uh, the power to make this image of the beast and then we see to give breath to the image of the beast. I'm not sure what this means. I can only speculate tonight and I want to be careful to say uh, that what I'm about to say now is my speculation. It's not gospel truth, but this could be the, the, the means of unfolding this means of the image of the beast here. We live in a day of artificial intelligence rising now. It's going to greatly, rapidly reshape our world. I remember years ago when the internet first came out, we began to have internet access. When I was a kid growing up, you know, the only computer you can imagine was one in the Pentagon somewhere or maybe in a research department of a university. I mean, and then we had computers in our homes, personal computers in our offices. What a, what a revolution that was when the Internet came. It changed everything, didn't it? Our world was completely turned upside down. And now you can order stuff online. We don't have to go to the store anymore. Everything about our lives has changed because of the rise, the advent of the Internet. We even have the Internet now in our pockets and the cell phones that we use. We can take it with us everywhere we go. It changed our world, but yet the reality is as we see the emergence of artificial intelligence, chat, GBT, and things like this, we see now a new wave that is coming of change that will greatly change our world. Uh, there'll be jobs that become obsolete because of this. If you uh, have, a, have a job or you have to write reports, that type of thing, you may uh, find yourself having a hard time uh, having that job because a computer can replace that now, very effectively now. And we're seeing what are called deep fakes. If you've seen those, it's amazing to see those, either a still picture or a video clip that is not at all real. But it looks so real, you'd think it was real. They can produce, they can generate a picture of anybody doing anything. That's scary, isn't it? Because how do you know what's real and what's true and what's artificially generated like that? We see here this idea of artificial intelligence. Could that somehow be connected to the image of the beast? It doesn't say here that they worship the beast. It says they worship the image of the beast there and giving breath to the image of the beast. I'm not sure what that means there, but I wonder if artificial intelligence here and the deep fakes don't somehow tie into this here. There's an old saying that seeing is believing. That's becoming obsolete today in our time because uh, there's such deception. You'll see that and you'll believe it, but it won't be real. It'll be a deep fake. It'll be artificially generated like that. And the image of the beast will be revealed that people will somehow give allegiance to. It says in chapter 13, verse 14, the idea of deceiving. Verse 13, he has the power to do great signs and wonders and even makes fire come down from heaven there. And we reminded back in the days of Exodus when Moses appeared before Pharaoh and God gave him some signs. Remember, he gave him some signs to authenticate. He was genuinely God's man. That staff, you know, take the staff, that dead piece of wood, that shepherd's staff, lay it down, that rod, that staff, it'll become a snake, a venomous snake. Pick it up again, it becomes a staff again. And for some of the miracles that he did, also turning the water into blood, the Nile River into blood, Pharaoh's magicians were able to duplicate 
some of the miracles that Moses did. Now, it wasn't of God. It was a demonic deception. It was a demonic fake as they were able to do that under the power of Satan himself to duplicate several of the miracles that Moses did. And so the reality is, uh, just because it's an amazing thing, a sign and a wonder, just because you think that's, that's a wow factor there, it doesn't mean it's of God. Amen? Because the key word the last days is going to be deception or deceit or deceiving. These are the key words we'll see in the last days. Then we move on, chapter 13, verse 16, related to the rise of Antichrist here. This is one we're often familiar with. We've heard of this. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, that covers everybody, to receive a mark on their right hand or in their foreheads that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast and the number of his name. And so it speaks here, references here, the right hand or the forehead. It reminds us of our forefathers in Christianity in the days of the Roman Empire, the days of the imperial cult of the divine emperor, the worship of Caesar, and had to give allegiance to Caesar. They didn't mind you giving allegiance to Jesus. You could do that, but you also had to give, in addition to that, allegiance to Caesar. And we as God's people could not do that. Many were martyred because of that. And so the reality we see here, the rise of Antichrist, there'll be a mark that you have to have to buy or sell to conduct in commerce. Now, we understand for some time, just any casual observer of just society has understood we have been moving toward a cashless society for many years now. I mean, there was a time we just used cash. Then we began to use checks. We wrote checks for everything. And now we moved on to debit cards. And now we're even moving on into the digital world, other things as well like that. And so this will move us towards something you don't have to even have a card with you. How quick and convenient that will be. I was in Walmart on Fifth Avenue the other day, and I was kind of in a hurry, and, and I was in that line, you know, I, I didn't want to go through the self-checkout. I like to use a cashier when I'm there, you know. And so I was in line, a couple of people ahead of me, and again, it's kind of moving, kind of, you know, always get the slowest line, it seems like, but the kind of line seemed to be moving along pretty good. And a woman gets checked out there, and she opens up her purse and brings out her checkbook. And she did that, and man, it was just excruciating how painfully slow it was to sit and watch her write that check. And the other lines are just moving through. People were using debit cards, moving through real quick. And our line, she's just writing out, you know, filling out all the lines. I thought, honey, couldn't you at least go ahead and written Walmart and the date on there before you came in? And then all you had to do was sign it with, the, with the, how much it was. And, you know, I thought, man, that's the case right there for a debit card because she's holding up the line. And I felt bad for her, you know, because she's an older lady. It's probably all that she had at that time. Probably didn't have a debit card. But we see the rationale to move toward that because it's quicker, it's faster, it's easier, and uh, it's, it's easy to use like that. But I wondered about this. Why would, what would be the rationale? I thought people would never, 20 years ago, Brother Steve, I would say people, people in mass, well, they won't take the mark of the beast. There might be a few that might do that, but I don't think the average people I know would take that, would be involved in that. But I got to thinking about that, where we've come as a society from the time I was a child till the time... Uh, that, that I raise my kids, how things have changed so much. Steve, I remember when I was a kid on Commonwealth Avenue in Jacksonville, riding my bicycle down the sidewalk alongside that four-lane street, and I'd be gone on my bicycle for an hour or two. And, you know, Mom and Dad, they didn't know where I was. We didn't have cell phones in those days. We didn't have any kind of GPS or anything like that. I'd be gone back in neighborhoods, riding around all like that. And, you know, I thought it was about supper time. I'd head back home after an hour or two and, and get back home and, you know, park my bike out there and go into the house. And, you know, I'm, Mom and Dad didn't think anything. They felt safe doing that because our town, our neighborhood was pretty safe. I tell you what, by the time years went by, a couple decades went by, I'm raising my kids. I tell you what, if they're out of my sight five or ten minutes, 
you know, I'm looking, where are they? Are they okay? You know, make sure they're all right like that because we live in a different culture now than we did then. And we're aware now, we've heard about Elizabeth Smart and all these cases of child abduction. We've heard about these things, and we're aware of that now more than we were years ago. And so we're watching our kids. We're keeping close, tight rain on them. Can you imagine the rationale that if you could have your child chipped, and maybe that chip had some kind of a GPS component in it, that if your child was abducted or just lost somewhere, lost in a theme park or lost in the woods, that that would be a GPS component that could be quickly and easily found? Do you see how it makes sense? That if I didn't understand what the Bible says about Bible prophecy, I might be for it myself. But I understand what it says here. And so I begin to see the rationale of how people in mass would buy into this. I mean, we already do it to our dogs. My dog has a chip in her, you know, so if she runs off and gets lost, you know, somebody finds her, they can scan her, get her back to me like that. My dog has a chip. And it's just a little bit of a step to put a small chip uh, under the skin of a child like that. And so we can see how we're moving towards that. And it's amazing how the stage is set now with technology in a way that just 30, 40 years ago was not available. And the rationale for people to have a buy-in for that wasn't there like it is today that people would do it in mass and accept that in mass. I was reading just the other day, it was in the September 9th issue of World Magazine, very good, very credible magazine, about Amazon's new palm payment system. Amazon, a number of years ago, bought the Whole Foods chain. Uh, they're in bigger cities. There are about four or 500 uh, franchises of, of Whole Foods. They had them in Orlando where we live there. We went in them occasionally there to see them. It's just kind of a pricier store. They sell a lot of organic stuff and health food, all like that. Kind of a big chain, four or 500 locations. Amazon is doing a test trial in about 400 locations there, select Whole Foods stores, about a new payment system with, the, with your palm that uses your palm. Now, here's what it does. Uh, you insert a debit or credit card into the machine, and it registers your unique handprint. I didn't realize this, but just like you have unique fingerprints, so your handprint, your palm print is unique as well. It registers that and then connects your palm print with your method of payment. And so then in future times, you go into the store, you don't have to worry about finding your card or getting out a check or finding cash. You just scan your palm, you check out, you're gone, you're ready to go. It's easy, it's fast, and it makes sense. And Amazon is big enough that whatever Amazon does and whatever the direction they move in, the other retailers will go behind them because they're the biggest player in the game. They're the, one of the biggest retailers in the world right now. And so Amazon's trying this right now as a test pilot program in a lot of their Whole Foods stores. Now, I don't know if that's what Revelation 13 is talking about. It may not be, uh, but i tell you what, it's sure a step in that direction, isn't it? It's, still, it's sure moving that way. And so, dear friend, the days we live in today, the technology is there now for these things to happen in a way that was not in previous generations. I can imagine a preacher, you know, 100, 200 years ago preaching from this and how wild it sounded, how far-fetched it sounded. I remember as a kid watching the Jetsons on Saturday morning TV, the cartoon, the Jetsons. In science fiction, how, how whimsical it seemed to be. But now a lot of things we saw in that show, a lot of those things are in our world now. A lot of the technology they used in that show, we use every day now, those type of things. And so the reality is what seemed uh, far-fetched yesterday is now reality today, doesn't it? We're moving in that direction. It may not be the mark of the beast, what they're doing, but it's certainly moving us in that direction towards that. And so the idea here is there is great deception in these days. So number one is the technology. Number two I want to share with you also in Revelation 13 here is a move toward globalism, 
uh, move toward a global society. Revelation 13, verse 3, about the Antichrist, it says here that, uh, it says here that, the, that uh, the whole world will worship the beast. The whole world uh, follows his leadership there. And the world marveled and followed the beast is what it says there. And so he's not just a regional leader or a continental leader. He is a global leader in that sense. You understand the world's become a smaller place, hasn't it? I remember year, uh, years ago there were time in a lot of these small towns in Georgia and the Carolinas and Alabama, a lot of these towns had different textile mills that were here. And maybe a mill in Georgia might comp compete against a mill in Mississippi or they might compete against a mill up in the Carolinas like that. It's not true anymore, is it? Now you're competing against businesses in Mexico, in China, in Brazil, in Europe, other places like that. It's become a global economy now. We're connected. We're tied together like that. And the roots of this, I believe, go all the way back to the book of Genesis, back to the days of Genesis where it all began. Because there in Genesis chapter 10, we see a sinister figure named Nimrod. He's kind of the bookend with Antichrist of uh, the, the, the type of Antichrist, Nimrod, the Old Testament, the Antichrist, the New Testament we see here revealed. And so the founder of Babel or the Babylonian system. We move on into Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. Then we see in Revelation 18 and 19 this Babylonian system. I don't believe it's a particular city that's rebuilt. Babylon today, what was ancient Babylon of Nebuchadnezzar, is just an archaeological dig in the desert. It shows no signs of being rebuilt as a functioning city anytime. But the Babylonian system is very real and evident and present in our world today. We're seeing a move toward globalism through the United Nations, the World Health Organization, World Economic Forum, all these. Take that world government, wedded with apostate religion together, and you see a Babylonian system, I believe, described in Revelation 18 and 19. A lot of talk today about a new world order. We're hearing people now talk about a new world order, and we have for some years now. Recently, the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. had an exhibit. It's closed now, just a temporary exhibit for some time, but it was called Futures. And there was a question, they asked questions of the people that went through it, kind of polling them, surveying them. One of the questions was, when will we see a single global government? Asking people, when will we see a single global government? Getting people to think towards that end result of a single global government. The Antichrist will be the man that brings people together, unites nations and forms confederacies and allegiances there. He does that and moves toward a global economy and a global religious system and a global political system as well, the move toward globalism. Number three is this. It's an increase in violence and lawlessness. Once again, the days of Noah. What about the days of Noah? Genesis chapter 6, verse 11, it says about the days preceding Noah's flood, the earth was filled with violence. The wickedness and perversion of men's heart uh, that they kept in their heart before, now it just over, overflows out of their heart, and it becomes a very violent society there. Mass shootings, terrorist attacks, subway muggings, carjackings, hearing more and more of this in the days to come. Mobs looting stores. Have you been on YouTube lately and seen some of the YouTube videos from shopping malls and stores in Los Angeles and San Francisco and Portland and even New York and other places like that? Uh, just mobs coming in and looting in mass. 50 people at a time come in into a department store, a high-end high department store, even a Walmart or a Target, and ransack the place. And even recently I had heard that in Portland, Oregon, Walmart is closing all their stores in a major American city in Portland because the inventory shrinkage of shoplifting has gotten so bad. 
they're pulling out of Portland. We see that more and more now in a lot of major American cities. And so the reality is here, a rise of, a rise of this violence in the last days. The earth was filled with violence in Noah's day. So we're moving toward that direction today. And if you don't think, if you think, well, that's Atlanta, that's New York, that's Los Angeles. Hey, we see some of this right here in Tifton, Georgia, don't we? Amen. And, uh, you know, we used to talk about Albany all the time. We're seeing some of these kind of things in Tifton right now, aren't we, as well? And so the, the reality is all these things evident today. And here's, what, here's, here's the reason for this. Here's why we see this. Someone has said this. If you take away religion, you can't have enough police. If you take away religion, you can't have enough police. The concept was we always before had the idea that God is watching us. Now, we understand there's security cameras everywhere now. We understand there's security personnel, law enforcement people all around. But we had the idea that God was watching us. It's called our conscience is what it is, that inner policeman. Even though I might want to do that, I'm not going to do that because I know it's wrong and my conscience will bother me if I do that. But now we see a generation of people that their conscience has been seared as if with a hot iron, and they have no conscience at all for these type of things. And no wonder because they've been raised on an idea of Darwinism. That is survival of the fittest. Survival of the fittest. And so the stronger nations can abuse the weaker nations. And stronger people can abuse weaker people. That's just the law of nature. It's uh, Darwinism, what, what it is, naturalism, the idea there. And so if, I'm a, if I believe in that, and I'm a big 25, you know, big, strong, young man, strong, muscular, all that, athletic, and here's a little old 80-year-old woman, you know, what's really wrong with me going over and pushing her down and taking her purse and getting her money? If it's survival of the fittest, that's just the world of naturalism. It's the world of Darwinism. And so we take that to its natural extent where it leads us to survival of the fittest. What's wrong with the stronger people abusing the weaker people? And so the idea, uh, there's no, no one watching us. God doesn't see. There is no God. And we have no internal police now. We have no conscience. And anything goes. An increase in violence and lawlessness. In the days of Noah, the earth was filled with violence. But there's one more I want to touch on tonight. This is kind of an odd one, kind of controversial tonight. And, and really, it's more for just your thinking in the future, uh, being aware of this, because we're hearing more, more about this. But here's number four. Let me just go here tonight. And this is what it is. An increasing concern about UFOs and aliens. Uh, this is a bizarre thing to talk about in a revival service, Brother Steve, but I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise that. But it says in the last days, Jesus said in Luke 21, 25, in the last days there'll be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. We've already seen this will be a time of deception. Back in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, deception. Verse 11, strong delusion. Verse 12, they'll believe the lie. And so we see today a, a, a renewal of interest in UFOs and aliens, this type of thing. I'm saying that as somebody... You know, as a kid, I grew up on Star Trek. I was a Trek. I was one of the original Trekkies back in the 1970s after the original series went off the air. I grew up on Star Wars, all like that. So I'm familiar with this. And, you know, I enjoy some type of science fiction sometime like that. But the phenomena that we see nowadays where it's not just an interesting TV show that entertains us, but it's reality in our world like that. We understand the nature of the spiritual warfare we're in today, of angels that would help us and demons that would harm us. We understand today that Satan is not in hell right now. People get the idea, well, Satan's down there. He's in hell. Revelation says at the end of time, he will be cast to the lake of fire, but he's not there yet. He's not there now. Where is he at? He's in this world system today. And Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, verse 12, he talks about the spiritual host of wickedness in high places. 
These are powers and principalities. These are demonic spirits. Now, we know in Revelation when Satan was cast out of heaven, a third of the angels fell with him. The deception was so real, he even deceived angels with him uh, to join his rebellion against God, about a third of them. But the good news is for every one demon that would harm you, there are two angels to help you. That's good news tonight. But the reality is there's a demonic realm here active in our world today, active in this world today. And so the basis for Antichrist to unite a world against a perceived otherworldly threat. We need to, that might be one of the reasons they unite people together under the rule of Antichrist. Maybe when people disappear, how will they explain that? Abductions, alien abductions. And so the reality here that uh, rallying people together against some perceived otherworldly threat, you know, we, we've seen uh, we've, even the Defense Department, Department of Defense, has put out videos saying, listen, we, we're not even sure what some of these anomalies are. Asking the scientific community, can you help us? Can you help us identify these things? I mean, even the government finally coming out of all these years saying there's something there going on. We're not sure what it is. And uh, could it be these are demonic spirits acting in our world today, uh, disembodied angels that are there? You know, in the Futures exhibit that was recently at the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C., it's closed now, but it was there for some time. As they pull people that went through, they ask them a question there. What would it take to unite mankind? What would it take to finally unite people of all nations, all tribes, all skin colors, all ethnic groups? What would it take to unite mankind? And they polled the people that attended, asked them for their opinion on that. Number one was a universal language. We can see how that would unify people because we can't understand each other sometimes. That separates us. But a close second, a close second was this, an extraterrestrial invasion. Now, this is what people are thinking that are out on the streets, people outside our churches. This is the kind of stuff they're thinking. You know, they've watched the X-Files and all these shows. They've kind of become acclimated to this. They've kind of become desensitized to that, this type of activity. And the nature of spiritual warfare that's going on in our world today, all around us here, and I'm not saying emphatically this is it. I'm not being dogmatic here, but could it be that all the interesting UFOs and aliens all like this has a demonic root there because... Satan and his allied demons are active in our world system today. They're not in hell yet. They will be cast in the lake of fire, but they're not there yet. They're in our world today actively opposing the work of God. Dear friend, these are troubling times, aren't they? I don't need to tell you that. You watch the news night by night just like I do. You understand we're living in troubling times militarily, politically, economically. Every metric you can imagine, it's a troubling time. But dear friend, I have great optimism tonight. And I'm not an optimist, I'm really a realist is what it is. And I understand this. Like somebody said earlier in the music service, we know how the story ends tonight, don't we? I've read the back of the book. I've read the last chapter. I know it's going to be okay. That God's in control. God is sovereign. He has seen fit in his sovereign plan to give Satan limited power for a limited time. It's like a dog on a leash. He can bark, he can try to snap at you, do all that, but he can't go any further than that leash allows him to go. God's got Satan on a leash. He can't go any further than God who is sovereign allows him to go. Here's the good news tonight. Here's what gives me hope tonight. Here's what gives me optimism tonight as a child of God. The words of the angel in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus was ascending into heaven on a cloud. Acts chapter 1 verse 11. He said to the disciples, are they just, you know, watching this amazing sight of Jesus rising in the sky on a cloud? They said, this same Jesus, this same Jesus will so come in a like manner as you saw him go into heaven. 
He left on the cloud. He's going to return again. And King of kings and Lord of lords. Friends, when he returns again, he's not coming as a suffering servant to be the baby in a manger. He's coming to be the boss man when he comes back again. He's coming to rule and to reign and be sovereign on the throne when he comes back again. 2,000 years ago, when Christianity was birthed in the days of the book of Acts, the first century, second century A.D., the Roman world was a pagan world. But that's the seed that the gospel was planted in. And history tells us that the gospel triumphed over the pagan ideas of that day. Dear friend, today we have seen Europe, which was in the first century A.D., Christianized, the first continent to be Christianized. Now Europe has become the first continent to be de-Christianized and return to paganism. But dear friend, it was a like soil that the seed of the gospel was planted 2,000 years ago and thrived. And a revolution, a gospel revolution occurred that has changed our world. Today there are about a billion people or more that name the name of Christ today on our planet. Dear friend, here we see this is the environment the gospel thrives in. That means the darker it gets in our world, you know what? The brighter your little light for Jesus is going to shine. You know that? If you have a flashlight and you go out into the, the afternoon sun, the middle of the cloudless day, sunny day, that flashlight, you can't even tell it's shining, can you? I mean, you shine it down on the ground, shine it on the building, you can't even hardly see the light because it's already so light outside. But when it's nighttime, late at night, and it's a cloudy sky, can't get any moonlight, it's dark outside, spooky outside like that, and you shine that flashlight, it makes a big difference, doesn't it? Dear friend, here's the good news tonight for the people of God. The darker it gets in our culture, the darker it gets in our society, the brighter your light for Jesus will shine. The more of an impact, the more of a difference it will make, and dear friend, the gospel seed be planted in our world today. It thrived 2,000 years ago in a similar culture, it can still thrive today. The gospel still has the power to change lives. God's still in the soul-saving business. He still changes lives today. He still does that. He still saves sinners. He still restores marriages. The gospel still works today. It wasn't just for grandma's generation. It's for today in the 21st century. The gospel still works. In the light of all that, I want to close tonight with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the words of the Apostle Paul. The days they lived in, the, the rise of the imperial cult of emperor worship, many of them becoming martyrs for the faith. They would not give allegiance to Caesar. And different, the days we live in today are very similar to these type of days. But here's what Paul said to them at that time. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a Thief in the night, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. It will come as a thief in the night. You know, the reality is that thieves come unexpected times, don't they? A lot of times thieves come in the middle of the day when you're at work. You know, they, not, you know the idea they come at night, uh, sometimes they do come at night unexpectedly when you're asleep, but more often they come when you're away at work, you're not there, they're breaking your home. They come when you don't expect them because if you expected them, you'd have been ready, wouldn't you? How many of Jesus' parables that he taught, how many parables had a theme about some administrator of a state, some owner of an estate, brought a servants in and trusted them to different duties or maybe a different currency of money to care for while he was gone, and he went away on a long journey, and they were 
stewards of what he had while he was gone. They were to invest that, to cultivate that, to steward that. And then he suddenly returned without any announcement and called them to give an account of what they had done with what he had entrusted them. How many parables have that thing? What about the ten virgins awaiting the, the wedding feast to happen? The, bride had, the bridegroom had gone off probably to make a negotiation with the bride's father for a dowry. And it was, the negotiation was running late. He hadn't come yet. And, uh, you know, they said, well, they, you know, some of them had the oil for their lamp. Some of them didn't have oil for the lamp at nighttime. And then when the bridegroom returned, they said, well, give us some of your oil. Share with us. They said, we don't have enough to share with you. Go to the marketplace and buy some. And they went and tried to find some for sale. And when they finally got the wedding feast, the door was shut, and they were shut out. How many parables of Jesus have that theme of a sudden return and then an accountability of what he's entrusted to us? Look again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, verse 6, here's what he says, and he says it to us today as modern-day disciples. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who have the day or the light be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation, that whether we wake or sleep, verse 10, we should live together with him. Whether we live or die, to live with him and to live for him. Dear friend, I encourage you to be alert, to be sober. It's foolish to try to set dates and be specific to name names of who you think it might be all this, but... The Bible does give us a lot of, it doesn't give us all we want to know, but it gives us a whole lot, doesn't it, about the roadmap for the future. He says, be alert, be ready. I mean, keep your eyes on Jesus, keep your hand on the plow, and whatever you're going to do for God, you better do it now while there's still time. Somebody you need to reach, maybe have that gospel conversation, sit down with a cup of coffee, have that difficult conversation you've been putting off about eternity, about their soul and how you love them and have compassion on them, how you're concerned about them and share the God. Maybe it's time to have that conversation with somebody we've been putting off. While there's still time, because the time will come, there won't be any more opportunity. It'll be too late then. Dear friend, the darker it gets in our culture today, and I know it's depressing, I know it's discouraging sometimes. We hear about the rise of the nuns, we hear about churches struggling, all like this. But dear friend, the darker our culture gets, the brighter your light will shine for Jesus. Just unleash it. Just let it go. Don't hide it under a bushel. Just let people see the light of Jesus. He's what people are looking for. They've seen the counterfeit of the Antichrist and demonic spirits. They've seen the deception. They need the real thing, the real McCoy, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Lift him up, magnify him, exalt him, make much of Jesus in these days. Let's pray to them right now. Father, speak to us now. As we transition in this time of invitation, speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Draw people to Jesus. Show us what we need to do in these days, Father, who we need to speak to, who we need to share the gospel with. We need to be serious about ministry, serious about serving you. Father, help us to be alert, to be sober-minded, to be vigilant, and to be about the Father's business in these last days. Help us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Page 113. Lord, I'm coming home. We stand tonight and sing, uh, I'm coming home. Hey, home is with Jesus. Home is with Jesus. And, and we, you know, ask the question, ultimately, are you awake? But the better question is, are you saved? Are you saved? Because we interact with people all the time that, that seem to be of the idea 
that one day they're just going to figure it all out when these things happen. And well, okay, it's proven to be true, so then I will believe. Here's the reality, though. You understand what is real by dealing with the real thing. You buy into counterfeits when you deal with counterfeits. In the scriptures, if we were to read on in the very next chapter, you would find that those who have had the opportunity to hear the gospel, he said, he will give you strong delusion so that you will not believe. Now is the time to walk in the light, to live in the light, in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And if you are not saved and you, well, I think I'm saved, that just means you're not saved. Stakes have never been higher. We're talking about heaven. We're talking about hell forever. Eternity. Are we right with God? Are we aware? Are we aware of the times in which we are wandering? Lord, I'm coming home. Home is with Jesus. Home is with the Lord. He made it that way in Genesis. Deemed us so we could make it that way for eternity. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. For some of you, you need to close that hymn book up. As soon as we begin to sing, you can. Don't put it off. Be right with God. Amen. Harvest Eve.
Brother Keith here today at Simple News. Back in the way of which technology has been for those who are younger than me and this thing. Through life, Let's pray, meditate, learn the word of God. Let's not be a hearer only, but let's do something with what we have for the glory of God. Would you give me more? God would use us in Jesus' name. Hearts and minds clear, free tonight.